Okay, hard to believe, but we have college football in December, and no, it's not the Pac-12 or any other conference championship week. It's what it should be, but it's not. Here we are, week five. I'm Yogi Roth, joined by Ted Robinson. It's Ted and Yogi's Pac-12 Adventure, of course, produced by the Britton Covey, who got to play over the weekend, so that was exciting. It was a tough loss. We'll touch on that and, of course, hear from Britton a little bit as well. But first, Ted, you and I, we got to call a game. Over the weekend. How are you feeling on a Tuesday? And it wasn't the game that we told everybody we were going to call, which is getting as part of our, it's 2020, bro, right? Uh, and, you know, Utah, Arizona State didn't happen. But thankfully, Utah got to play Washington. And then Colorado found a game because USC went down. So Yogi and I were sitting around. I was having pumpkin pie about 8 o'clock Thanksgiving night with my family and my grandkids, and the phone buzzes. Oh, by the way, we are doing that game Saturday. Um, so uh, credit to the Pac-12 Network. The Pac-12 Network did a marvelous job putting things together in Boulder and then setting things up for us in San Francisco to call the game. And, and, and it was great. It was great. San Diego State's a good program, and Colorado had a chance to play a game, which was, which was fun. And Yogi – Yogi remembered how to tie his tie. It was great. When was the last time you had a tie on, bro? Totally. It was the last time we did a game together, to be straight up. And I loved what you did with the binoculars. It was funny. Our uh, producer, Michael Molinari, who everybody knows because he's usually on this show as well with us, um, he hit me up uh, in my ear. It's called the talk back. And he hit me up in my ear after the open. He goes, I was wondering what Ted was doing with those binoculars because he saw them on the table. If you watched our game and our open, Ted pulled out the binocs. You're like, I'm not going to need these today because we were in studio. It was hilarious, man. Well, it was uh, – and, and, and look, let's tackle you – know, I mean, this – unfortunately, um, you know, as much as we, we relish the games that were played and we're happy that the games are played, the story keeps building. And uh, I'm supposed to be getting on a plane here in three hours to fly to Tucson for a basketball game. That got called off because Colorado basketball has been hit again by COVID. Um, and now the, the most prominent news is that it's just been released in the last 30 minutes. Stanford is leaving. Stanford is leaving the Bay Area because they can't even practice. Uh, the same as the San Francisco 49ers, by the way. And the same, I believe, as San Jose State in the Mountain West. So Stanford's flying up to Seattle to play at Washington this weekend. They're going to practice there and they're going to stay up there. And their game against Oregon State on December 12th has been moved to Corvallis. So Stanford's going to be a bubble team, which is not what anybody wants to have happen, but it's a necessity of this time. Yeah. You know, when I was heard about that um, late last night, um, my first thought went to the coaches, to be honest, you know, like, and it'll be interesting to hear what Britain has to say about this. Um, but here these coaches are, they got to pack up and now you're gone. Right. And, and I know what it's like, you know what it's like Tim. whether you've got kids or grandkids, like, even if you are a coach coming home to alleviate your family a little bit or spend time with them, it's already a crazy schedule. I, I feel for these guys now because now presumptuously, you know, Stanford's going to be on the road for the rest of the season. And then they're going to have to quarantine for two weeks when they come back based on at least the guidelines as of today when we recruit. And I just think, um, I think it's a lot, you know, I, I just do. Um, I'm glad they're doing it for the sake of the games and playing. And there's a lot of factors that go into that. But man, if you would have said, did you anticipate one or multiple teams bubbling in college football this year? Once we got started, I would have said, heck no. And that's, that's the truth of where we are today, man. 
Yeah, and, and so here, just here, here's an idea. Now, I, I, have, I don't know of any colleges that have had to do this. There may be programs, I don't know. New Mexico is doing it, in fact, I'm saying off the top of yeah. my head, New Mexico is doing it in Las Vegas. I, I went through this on several occasions during my time with San Francisco 49ers, a couple of times playing games in London, and then a couple of other times where the team had back-to-back games scheduled in the East Coast and decided to stay back east between games rather than dealing with the, the long flights. And what I'm going to say is that the, the, what fans don't fully appreciate, they can't appreciate, is the amount of stuff, physical stuff that goes into taking football. It's not just players and coaches and staff training, uh, strength, etc. It's all of the equipment, for example, all of the medical equipment, all of the strength, and can you replicate the strength and conditioning equipment wherever you decide to bubble. Can you, how much medical do you get? And then here's the other thing in 2020, which I saw firsthand, IT. Most important people when a football team relocates are the IT people. And I know when the NFL has invested a lot of money in London over a decade now, wiring up two different resort hotels for the teams that go play the London games so they can go and immediately plug and play in their IT system. Now, the colleges don't have that. I know when the, the 49ers, for example, would reload, um, uh, they, they used uh, Orlando one year, they used Youngstown State University another year, where they could literally go in and use the school's IT system. But people don't understand how valuable, Britain, you know that, how valuable that is for a football team. You can't function yeah. without that. Oh, there's an endless amount of factors and variables and people that go into the program. And until you start paying attention, you, you don't realize it all the time. I mean, I think of the trainers. The training staff is here from 6 a.m. testing guys till 8 or 9 p.m. every day. And they've been like that for, I don't know, five months. And that's just one group. Then you have the equipment staff. Then you have the IT. No, you, you really do have a lot of people. And it's, my, so my best friend, Gabe Reed, plays for Stanford. And uh, he told we I to, I talked to him two nights ago. I was like, or last night. I was like, "Are you serious? You're leaving?" And he's like, "Yeah." And his wife is one of my best friends from high school too. And I'm like, "How does she feel about it?" <laughs> she's like, "She's not happy about this because it really is a sacrifice." I mean, two to three weeks. Uh, you know, I mean, you saw it with the NBA, and, and I think that's the biggest thing is you can't judge anyone for being hesitant or not wanting to do it. It's kind of like Avery Bradley sat out, you know, and everyone was kind of frustrated, but you get it. I mean, it's, it's hard. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot to go there and we'll dive into it, but let's talk Stanford Ted. Um, they go to UW, right. Moving to Seattle, as you just referenced this game to me, I'm, I'm excited about Washington right now. I would say like in your power rankings in the North per se, they'd probably be at the top the way they played their comeback Britain. You, you saw it firsthand. Um, and now they play Stanford, who I think looked the best they looked. I went back and watched that game yesterday, Ted, because you know we were calling it, so we didn't get there. We, we were prepping for our game, so maybe we didn't see every snap. I know I didn't over the weekend, and I was like, "Wow, they moved the ball. They ran power again. Ran. Old that school, two tight ends. Davis Mills has a throw of the weekend. Pumps the bubble, rips a seam shot. It was awesome. I jumped literally off of my like out of our kitchen table last night watching it around nine o'clock, and. <laughs> I don't know. I just I'm really excited for this game because of the receivers. Both lines are playing at a really high level for both programs. 
I anticipate this one being a highly competitive ball game. Though. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's difficult because Stanford has to go and travel and play under these conditions. Um, it's a great benefit now because Washington, which again, I think I said this to you last week on the pod. I think they, to me they've looked the best. Um, they got their tail kicked in the first half Saturday, and they rebounded pretty well in the second half. But guess what? This is going to be their fourth game, all four at home. <laughs> they haven't left yet. So, I mean, that's, a, again, a significant – in this era where travel is even more – I'm not saying it's unsafe, but it's just more It's just more involved because of all the protocols in our era. Washington hasn't had to leave yet. So that's a huge advantage. And I'll say this, the coach that has to feel great this weekend was Pete Alomar the special teams coach at Stanford, because that won the game for him. Uh, I mean, they, they, and I don't know, you can help me in this, Yog. I mean, I watched the, the field goal they blocked at the end of the first half and then the extra point to win the game. And on both plays, they overloaded to the, to the Stanford, to the defense's left of center, to Cal's right of center, both times. And they just physically, it was like seven guys pushed four guys back and allowed Thomas Booker to get his hand up and block the kick. And I was puzzled watching that that happened to Cal on that crucial extra point, given that that had happened to them at the end of the first half. Yeah, I was as well. I went back yesterday, and I don't always watch these, but I'm starting to watch like the post-game coaches' press conferences, and I watched Justin Wilcox. And it was a clinic of, like, don't ask those types of questions. They were like, how do you feel giving the ax back? Like, you could feel his frustration. I mean, it was – and we know Justin as well as anybody – he was on the edge, you know, and you could just tell like that was one of those moments where you're so frustrated because you feel like you coached it up. You feel like you're prepared for it. And they weren't. They just weren't. I mean, that's just straight up truth. And you got to wear that one. So I, I, I'm with you on that, Pete Alomar. And what was funny was that he was let go at Cal. Maybe not funny, but ironic is probably the better word uh, over a decade ago. So he's been on both sides of this rivalry. And, and for Stanford overall, I was just you're happy for them to, to get a win. Like, I just think their season and Cal, they've been maligned to a large degree because of COVID and their opponents and or themselves or local, you know, contact tracing protocols. It just hasn't gone the way I think any of us anticipated either season. So I like the fact that it was a really competitive game. And I think that's what we're going to see on Saturday. So I want to ask Britain, UW's defense, you know, on TV, you know, it looks like, uh, it's growing every week. What did you see from that defense? Because to me, after the molded interception in the third quarter, that's when I felt like the game started turning. Yeah. Well, that's what's interesting about UW this year is, you know, Chris Peterson left, but they've maintained that culture on defense. I mean, I've played against some really good DBs in the Pac-12 in my tenure, my 50-year tenure in the Pac-12, but – these guys are a typical UW defense. I'll tell you what, what's hard about playing against Washington is they're so good at playing zone and knowing where they are okay with getting beat. Does that make sense? It's just like they'll let you beat them in certain ways because those ways are really difficult. You know, they, they play a certain type of contained zone, a cover two man almost where – you know, they're not going to let you beat them outside. But if they beat you inside, they're basically funneling you to the safety. And that way it allows for people like Elijah Molden to not have to worry about getting beat two ways. He just, he'll get beat one way, 
And then the rest of the time, he can focus on stopping the run. I mean, honestly, Elijah Molden, I've played against a lot of guys. He's, he's one of the best players I've ever played against. Um, obviously, I only got to play about five snaps this game. But he is so aggressive. I think on defense, if you're going to recruit any player, you want to recruit that type of player who is skilled in coverage but also will stick their head in there and get a tackle for loss. You know, kind of like a Javelin Gidry last year who we had. But just the ability to, you know, take that zone concept and know where you're okay with getting beat um, makes it really difficult on an offense. Yeah, that's really well said. Ted, we've talked about it a ton. Washington baits you to throw the ball where they want you to throw the ball. And they're okay with you throwing the ball there. And and that's what I noticed. And that's what's going to be fun this week because they're going up against a guy who probably played, you know, the best game of his year, Davis Mills, and one of the better ones in his, you know, limited career at Stanford. So I, I, don't, I don't know which way to go. I'd probably lean towards UW on this one, but I wouldn't be shocked if Stanford won this ball game. I think it's going to be highly competitive. Well, and it's funny, after again, after seeing Washington for the first time kind of get pushed back on their heels a little bit, by Utah in the first half. And Utah's running back, the freshman, looked pretty good. Young yeah. Jordan there. That was a new name to me. It was watching him emerge a little bit from that committee that is being used. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I just, again, I, I can't help but think we're dealing with young people that the disruption that Stanford is dealing with versus the continuity Washington has had I boy, I'll tell you, I just think that's a massive challenge for Stanford to overcome. It's a great point. It'll be fun to see how that plays out. All right, so we had the Buffs. They're undefeated in conference play. Uh, they're undefeated overall. Um, of course, limited games in SC. They go to Arizona. Uh, when I turned the UCLA game on, I was heartbroken a little bit because Grant Gannell went out in the first play of the game. In comes freshman Will Plummer, talented high school player, but clearly got challenged. Uh, Arizona didn't mount a little bit of a comeback in the second half. So I'm curious, what, what do you think about this game? Um, I think it's noted that, and we've called these games, Arizona has beaten Colorado three straight times. Yeah. Right? And, and two of the three were Khalil Tate's, that two of his it. best games of his life. That's your difference right there. Yeah, so what, what, do you, what do you think about this game at this state of the season with, you know, with where we are in December and what's yeah. going on in Arizona? And I would flip – just looking at it, you because, know, again, we saw Colorado. Uh, we haven't – you know, we're watching Arizona from a little bit of a distance, but I'm going to go back to the same word I just used, continuity. Arizona, as we're talking, it doesn't sound great for Gunnell to play. That's not defined yet, but it doesn't sound great. They've had more opt-outs this week. A few more players in their secondary have decided, okay, I'm done. We're, we're, we're not going to play anymore. So there's not a whole lot of continuity. And therefore – to Noel Mazzoni, because Noel Mazzoni may have some little <laughs> wisdom about beating Colorado's D, but does he have a quarterback that can pull it off? You know, he probably thought Gunnell could pull it off. If Gunnell doesn't play, does it is a plumber again? Do they go to Rodriguez? Uh, you know, we just we just don't know. But uh, I, I would say I'm I'm impressed, maybe because we dove a little deeper into it, Yogi. I was impressed watching Colorado play. They to me they played very much within themselves cliche admittedly but still within themselves you know Sam Neuer's not going to wing the ball down the field and crush you in, an, in a wide open explosive offense so don't ask him to do that and and they didn't and Nate Lamon's pretty darn good player yeah I'm with you I, I think 
Colorado's going to find success running the football. You look at what UCLA did, right? Another game over 200 yards rushing. I'd anticipate the Buffs doing that. Where I was impressed with Colorado was defensively. You know, they're going to bring a ton of pressure. And if it's Will Plummer, look out because they come from a bunch of angles. And even if they don't, um, everybody knows Mustafa Johnson and Nate Lamon, but we talked about it in the broadcast. Terrence Lang, watch this dude. He's 6'7". He's, uh, I want to say, around 260, um, just a gifted player. Yeah, he's 6'7", 265, excuse me. Yeah. And we saw him since he got on campus in 2017, and now he understands his body. He reminds me kind of like, like the Utah defensive linemen that come in as receivers or tight ends, and then all of a sudden it's Nate Orchard, Nate Fakafahua, formerly known as. Yeah, I tell you, he reminded uh, me a little just, bit of just look at his Armstead. Yeah, great call. Just think like, like him. That. I mean, you know, I, mean, I don't know. If I'm not saying he's going to be a first round pick like Armstead was. I'm just saying when I saw him this week, that, that body type, that's what it reminded me of. Yeah. All right. I'm with you there. All right. Uh, speaking of body types, Oregon, they've looked the part. They looked the part coming off the bus. Uh, obviously, dramatic loss to the Bees and Jamar Jefferson will get to Oregon State. But they go to Cal and CFP hopes pretty much extinguished. Um, I think it's safe to say that for the Ducks, but they still they still are the defending Pac-12 champs. Uh, they also have struggled stopping the run, um, and Cal's offense is pretty fun to watch. You know, as they've settled in in this West Coast scheme, what are you looking forward to in this ball game as you break this one down? Yeah, you know, we we touched on Cal a little bit, and so I, again, I'm I'm puzzled because it's something I noticed, and we talked about this yoke the very first week when Stanford went up to Eugene and kind of pushed Oregon around a little bit. You know, Oregon ends up winning the game. Uh, last, I mean, Oregon State had no – Oregon State right now has no downfield pass game. They just don't have it. You basically know they're going to line up and run Jamar Jefferson at you, and they still did. And they ran it at Oregon and came back against them in the second half to win a game. And so that, to me, if I'm Oregon, I'm a little concerned because, again, that's not the Mario Cristobal identity that we would expect for Oregon football. Yeah, for me, I went and watched that most of that game back yesterday as well. And the thing that stands out, and a lot of people are talking about the defensive front, like where's Jordan Scott and Kevin Thibodeau and all these guys, Austin Fallu, they're playing fine. I think the, the area we forget to talk about is the linebackers, right? They lost the most productive guy, I think, in the history of Oregon in Troy Dye yes. regarding tackles at least. And, yes, Noah Sewell is going to be, in my eyes, the Pat Tillman Defensive Player of the Year in this conference, one or two times in his career at Oregon. I think he's that special, but he's still a freshman. And what Oregon State did, and I put it on Twitter last night, is their offensive line climbing to the linebacker level, right, and scraping. So they put their hands on a D lineman. Their eyes are looking at linebackers. When the linebacker shows, you know, shows his jersey, they get off of the defensive lineman and climb to the next level. They do that as well as anybody – in this season and they've done it consistently really uh from the beginning at least the second half of their first game of the season they've done a nice job there and they did a nice job against the ducks and and that's the part that i think is experience for linebackers it's playing through blocks it's it's understanding run schemes and if you hesitate a little bit because of the zone read game or the run pass option game things that uh, Cal doesn't necessarily do. I mean, they ran a few zone reins in their two-minute drill, but that was it. That's not part of their offense anymore. Right. It, it, it showed up, and, and that was a glaring thing for, for me watching that game. So I would expect Oregon to be better on defense because Cal is not doing a lot of the zone read stuff. So I think they'll play a little bit faster. 
but overall, when I look at this game, that's going to be number one. And then number two is going to be Justin Wilcock, with Justin Wilcox versus Joe Moorhead. I think Oregon's offense is the best, is the most creative in this conference. I'll say it like that in terms of how they're deploying players, where they're moving guys, how they're shifting and motioning. It's just a challenge. And Justin is the blueprint in terms of how to stop stuff like that. He's done it his whole career. I, I can't wait to watch that part of this game. And, then, and finally, last player I'll talk about in that game, uh, Chris Brown. Cal, clearly, they were marshalling how much they used Chris Brown, and they saved him until the fourth quarter against Stanford. He made a difference. If he's a little healthier, if he's able to play more, that gives Cal multiple because they introduced some pretty good – I mean, Dancy there, but a pretty good freshman against Stanford. You start saying now, if Brown is healthy, they've got three running backs that they can put at Oregon. Yeah, I'm with you. And then just something fun – because we love the fun stuff. Reminder, Justin Wilcox played DB at Oregon. <laughs> so I had up Aliotti last night, his, his coach, our, our coworker, Nick Aliotti. I said, tell me about Justin as a player. And he said, quote, one of the smartest, most disciplined team players I've ever been around, moved him from safety to corner in his senior year due to injury. And I knew I could trust him to play corner. He didn't give up a touchdown the whole season. I knew he'd be successful in whatever he pursued. Great coach, star in the making. And uh, that was cool. We, yeah. we forget that these guys played sometimes. Well, and then I want to say, since we're talking about this, before we go to the next few games here, um, something I thought that was great, Yogi, and we saw it both in the Stanford-Cal game Friday and then the Oregon-Oregon State game. Those are two rivalry games played with no fans. The players and the coaches were still as engaged and emotional and meaningful in those games as if the stadiums were full. And, and I know there's just still so many I – I, I get frustrated when I hear the haters and read the negative things that are out there about why are they even playing football today. And you watch those two games, and that's one of the reasons why. Justin Wilcox, and I've spoken to him about this in the last few months for something else, but he talks about being on the field at Stanford last year after Cal won the game. They hadn't won in a decade. And Chase Garbers, we called the game. Chase Garbers wins the game with a run, and Cal's fans stormed the field, the opposing team's field. And Justin Wilcox talked about how he just got so emotionally locked up. He stood there, and he just said, I was just a fan. And I was watching parents, longtime Cal Bear alums with tears in their eyes celebrating on the field. And he said, it struck me because he had been part of it. Obviously, he had been part of Oregon, Oregon State. He hadn't seen it in the Stanford-Cal rivalry. And to hear him say that, was just to hear a coach say that was so meaningful. And then to turn around and watch those two games where the stadiums are empty, didn't matter to the people in uniform and the coaches and the staffs on the field, the emotions were very much there. So well said, man. Okay. So now we have uh Britain, your game, the Beavs. It sounds like Tristan Jebbia is going to be limited if he goes at all, at least according to local newspapers. So that'll be interesting chance. Nolan, who played really well at the JC level last year, and of course, in his one snap this year, went down in history with the game-winning quarterback sneak. Right. Jamar is clearly a beast. Uh, what's it like prepping for this team? Yeah. Well, you got to have a lot of respect for them. I mean, last week's game, we all watched it as a team at the hotel, and that's, I think, the main thing that stood out to us was what you pointed out, Yogi, is Oregon knew what they were going to do at some point, and yet – they still couldn't stop it. Um, their, their, their ability to scrape off and go to the linebackers and make the linebackers pick sides 
is what makes Jamar Jefferson so effective, honestly. So it's going to be fun because Utah, we're always known for our run defense. And I'm excited. You know, I think we've given up the least amount of yards of rush of rushing offense in the Pac-12. So I think it's always fun to see two styles clash like that. You know, that's why everyone's kind of like Utah Stanford, because it's just kind of like the hard nosed bully ball type thing. Uh, I'm excited. I think they've got a little bit of revenge on their minds, obviously, from last year. Uh, you know, we went down to Corvallis and it was pretty good game for us, you'd say. So I think they're pretty motivated. And I'll tell you, we are too. It, I don't think there's been a word said in the facility for about two days because everybody's just so ticked off. And Coach Witt especially. I mean, nobody, I think Coach Witt hates losing more than he likes winning. I, in fact, I know that's how he is. And, and there's a demeanor around the facility when you lose here that's just, it's different. And, and uh, I think guys that care about that really appreciate it. You know, you don't want to you don't want to walk into a bus after a game and have, you know, if, if I see a freshman laughing, I'm going to call him out and be like, look, that's not how we do it here. We, we don't laugh after a game. Like, wipe the smile off your face. And and so I think this young team is kind of developing that. And yeah, I, I, I'm excited for this game. I, I'm hoping to play more, too. I, I, I'm hoping to be at 100 percent. It's been so frustrating for me to be out to not be out there. Yogi. So can we call out what what a play from last Saturday that just since Britain just said that it just so exemplifies because Britain Covey we're watching I want to see Britain Covey play dang it come on get out there <laughs> so he gets out there on this on a I forget what might have been a third down play anyway he's in the slot and Molden's covering him and so Molden got, jumps in front intercepts a ball and now he's running it back into Utah territory and here comes this guy this wide receiver chasing him I'm going guys that's Covey. And you had to veer to the sideline. You kind of ran into some traffic. And Molden keeps running. And you got around the traffic. You chase him down the sideline. You eventually make the tackle. And you strip the ball from him. Yeah, I know. The, the lost detail was it didn't get called on the field. That's a detail. But, but I mean, that was a, it was a great hustle play by a guy that's coming off a hamstring. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you. Too. Yeah, I mean – I was frustrated. I was excited. Went in for a third down. It was one of the first passing plays I was able to be in on. And Bentley had to scramble around to the left. So it basically became scramble drill, you know, and, and our routes are called off. And so we're just running across the field. Elijah steps in front and, you know, I was like, all right, I'm going to pull a DK Metcalf here, you know, <laughs> about half the size. Went down. I, I really did strip the ball and I was trying to tell the refs, but nobody believed me. And Anyways, I guess you don't get the benefit of the doubt. Wide uh, receivers, Yogi. That's a Yogi Roth play. Come on. Yeah, for guys. That's right. That's all we are around here. <laughs> nice job, man. Hey, all right. So, as, yeah. Well, I was just going to say one more. Th- let me ask one more thing here because we're talking about – you were talking about Oregon State, and we don't know who their quarterback's going to be. Jebby, it looked like he got hurt pretty – it looked like he had a, an injury there. Um it happened to Jebbia twice at the end of that game. It happened to your quarterback, Britton. And then it happened in the Arizona game. I saw three different games where teams could not run a quarterback sneak. And it was cost, it was cost, it was very costly. It didn't cost Oregon State the game, but it cost him Jebbia. It cost your team, Utah, because you guys had the lead at that oh. point. And Plummer in Arizona tried to run one. And I mean, it was just what what is it about the quarterback sneak that I'm seeing three critical times where teams couldn't run it. 
So I'm, I'm, I'm puzzled because it frustrates me as a guy yeah. watching. So help me understand you two, you two players. Well, Britton, go ahead. I, I've got my theory on it. Well, I think that, first of all, I think you can be creative with quarterback sneaks. And I think that sometimes, I mean, quarterback sneaks, you never go on one. And you know this, Yogi, you never do downset hot. It's always you're trying to get that initial push off the line. So you're trying to go with a surprise cadence or do something that's you're going to throw in there that catches the defense off guard so you can get that initial surprise push, whether it be sending someone in motion or going on the color, you know, set hot, set hot, blue. And then you go something that's going to give you a, I don't know, a advantage. And when both te- when the team plugs the A gap and you don't get a push, I mean, I don't know. I've, I never did quarterback sneaks. I don't know if a quarterback, if you try and go to the B gap, I don't know if you just trust your lineman to get that initial push, but that is puzzling to me. I think that if you know what the cadence is on and the defense doesn't, you should always get that initial push. And so I, it's just as puzzling to me. Well, so I go to, um, here's a stat that'll make sense. If you looked at Baker Mayfield, Jared Goff and Pat Mahomes in college, uh, I believe the stat is correct. They were all under center when it was a passing down, I think 11 or 14 combined times. And they all played a lot of snaps in college. Wow, wow. What is my point? My point is that most of these quarterbacks in high school, let alone college, are, are not under center. It's not, a, it's not a thing. They don't have the reps. Even if it's part of – I know it's part of your offense, Britain, at Utah, but how much of it was Jake Bentley in high school when he was at South Carolina? Like – to my knowledge, as I think back to his high school tape, like it wasn't a ton. With that said, and I could be wrong on that, but that, that's my theory. With that said, I believe this is the way that quarterback sneaks should be taught. And, Ted, I'll, I'm going to say it for the hundredth time to you, but, Britton, I don't think you've heard it yet. Yeah. Um, is you take a rocker step. So you're under center, and when you take the snap, again, it's a hard count or it's on two, whatever it is, when you take the ball, you rock back, right? So you're at a staggered stance, maybe a little bit more dramatic than traditional. You rock back and then you assess both sides of the center, what's going on. And then you just get low and don't stop you moving your feet. We've seen too many times, like Oregon State was an example, where you're just kind of leaning into them. That's what happened to Jebby, just leaning into that offensive line, hoping somebody pushes you, like hoping you just squirt through. You got to have your eyes right through your face mask, stay low and pick the right gap. Because defensive linemen are taught to grab grass, or they call it submarining, just get really low, create a pile, take the legs out of the offensive lineman out. So if you assess that when you rock back, okay, I can't go to my left, go to my right. If I can't go to either, I just follow my center. Whatever it is, it allows you to assess. If you want an example, Ted, I'm sorry to bring it up, go right back to USC Notre Dame, baby. Matt Liner, <laughs> rocker Steph. That's exactly what we coached, and that's what he did. And I, I just think that's, that's what I would be doing. That's a good point. I'd never heard it coached that way, but it, I mean, you run every other play like that. You don't just stick your nose behind someone and hope they get a push. So, and and Britton, you, you uh, the what Yogi's saying was exactly the point. In your case, your center kind of got stood up, and Bentley never had his feet under him when he right like ten times, and Bentley never because he got he was trying to go forward, and the center kind of got pushed back by the mm-hmm. by the A gap bust of Washington. That's why I say we just do Wildcat and then have, you know, he used to watch old Utah, Matt Asiata up in, you know, no one's stopping him. Totally. All right, we got two games left. Um, This one's going to be fun. UCLA, who's on a little bit of a roll, 
I mean, they've got the number one receiver in total yardage in the conference, number two running back in total yardage, and they got the number two and number five in sack leaders. And, oh, by the way, their quarterback's throwing for seven touchdown passes, second best in the conference, and he missed the last two games. Who plays – who, who's, who's the quarterback for UCLA? That's the first question. Oh, I believe it's going to be Dorian. Um, that's what I would anticipate, um, at least according to his own social media, if you're reading into that. Um, so I'd anticipate that. And they're going to go to Arizona State. Arizona State. I mean, there was a world after they lost to USC. At least I know, Ted, I called you and I was like, I think they're going to go win the, win the South. I still think they'll find their way in the title game. Clearly, that's not going to happen. They can go bowling. You only have to be at 500 by the end of the season. But they haven't played in what will amount to a month. What do you, what do you think about this ball game? 730, I think it's on FS1. Yeah, I mean, I, to me, it's hard to analyze this game from the Arizona State standpoint. What are we going to see? We have no idea. I'm sure Herm Edwards doesn't know, which is the worst part, right? You're the coach. You don't know what you're going to get. Um, I mean, I know uh, because we were supposed to call the Utah-Arizona State game, and I talked to Arizona State last Monday and Tuesday. I'm sure you did too, Yogi, and they were in a, still in complete disarray. Uh, they, they couldn't practice for two weeks. They had no group at all, and that's why eventually the game was put off because Arizona State just said, we can't even get organized in time. I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, but to be a legitimate college football team by Sunday. So I don't know what difference a week will make. You know, certainly hope it's better for them. Uh, on the UCLA side, as you said, we talked about Griffin last week, and he's been so impressive. But, you know, with all of the uh, Jamar Jefferson conversation, as good as he's been, and Broussard at Colorado, I think Dimitri Felton is – it's hard to think a UCLA guy goes under the radar, but to me, Felton is. He has been awfully darn good so far. I think he's the most explosive player in the conference this year. And I went back last night to just be like, who am I missing? Like, I know there's a lot of guys we think will be that explosive or we hoped would be that explosive. And Jamar is a different type of player. Like I think in terms of like when he touches the ball, I stand up every time. Because, and if you're a fan, that's what the question is. Hey, do you stand up when Felton gets the ball? When 10 has the ball, what do you do? And you stand up because he could take it to the house. Special teams, offense coming out of the backfield, lining up in the slot. He's been fun. So I look forward to this because Arizona State, where they were so impressive in week one was the defensive front. I mean, they were awesome. We're talking about Michael Matus, Jermaine Lole, Ted, we've talked about him at nausea. Marlon Robertson was the player of the week on defense in the conference, probably the best single game by a linebacker in conference play. Like Nate Lamon's been sweet the last couple of games, but – I'd love to have seen that against SC, like we saw with Merlin Robertson. But they haven't practiced. They haven't practiced that much. I mean, they've had a couple practices here and there, but that repetition, like, can they get it all back in one game week? That's going to be the thing. Like, run fits. Do you overrun things? How do you play the ball? So that's what I want to see on defense. And then offensively, these freshman receivers did not play well against SC. A lot of drops. Okay, so they've had a lot of time to work on that. But they haven't really practiced. But yeah, exactly. Because they haven't practiced. So, how how does that play out? So, it's probably the game I'm most curious about because of the most unknowns. Yeah. And then which, we say Sunday. Uh, hopefully, Sunday Washington yes. State's able to make it and play in the same thing. I mean, they played a couple of games, but it's going to be three weeks since we've seen them on the field. Yeah, and it just came out that SC is a go. So, so that's a good thing. Um, but I'm with you on the Cougs. Um, you know. The good thing about this game for them is they will be at full strength. They won't be Gunner Cruz. We anticipated being Jane Delora. And this one will be interesting because it's Sunday, at, at least as of now, at 4.30. Not a 9 a.m. -er. 
right? Like college football on a Sunday when there's an, a what is happening? Uh, so th- this is just kind of an intrigue game for me. Uh, for SC, they have to be really impressive. I hate saying that because I don't, I don't fundamentally agree with that in college football, but that's when all things are equal in terms of games played. But now for them, and I know they believe in an outside shot at the playoff, but to do it, man, they got to look good. They've got to look good against Wazoo, against UCLA, and whomever they might play in the Pac-12 title game. And they haven't been, you know, their best game, I think, Britain, I believe, was against your team a couple weeks ago. So I'm, I'm curious to see, to see who they are and, and how they compete in this ballgame. And I'm wondering how, well, yeah, it's, it's both teams are coming off idle time. So, uh, you know, it's funny. I was thinking, Yogi, when you said that about the CFP and how the results of this past weekend again, and now the incredible, you know, the, the damage that COVID is doing to our society. And of course it's bleeding into everything, including college football is, you know, the CFP is a complete mess. And all of a sudden you've got Georgia now, which has not looked very good until JT Daniels gotten, gotten their quarterback and Georgia right now might be a CFP team with, and they already have two losses. But you don't even know if Ohio State's going to qualify. They may not have enough games to qualify. It's really a, it's it's you know it's unfortunate that we have to keep going there, but it is it's just an unavoidable part of this season. Yeah, well, I, I really, for me, I hope the playoff committee and everybody involved in that, I hope they get put in really challenging scenarios, because I want to see decisions made in that regard. I want to see what what would they do with Ohio State if if they didn't play another game, if they didn't play for the Big Ten title. What would they do if Georgia looks like one of the better teams but doesn't play in an SEC championship game? What do they do if SC looks the part over the last three games or Washington does? I want to see that because, and I've said it, and I say it to Bill Hancock, who I like. I love everybody that works there. They were amazing. Sent me a gift when my son was born. But it doesn't allow me to not criticize the process. And I think the process is very flawed. I think this year could have been the year, even if it was an anomaly, to say, we're just going to take everybody from Power Five conferences and then figure out whether you wanted six or you wanted eight, whatever. Uh, this should have been that year because what you're going to see by the time this podcast probably drops is more bowl games get canceled. Yeah, it's just going to happen. I-, I will be shocked if we see any bowl game outside of the New Year's Six. That's just a personal opinion, and I don't even know if we should. To be quite honest with you, uh, with where the country's going, what COVID, and what all the yeah. players have had to do, and we're going to see more teams have to relocate now. Because, uh, oh, by the way, the last game of the season is the weekend of the 18th. If you're going to play a bowl game, that's the very next week, which is Christmas. So you're just going to – what are you going to do with players? I, I just think it's, yeah. it's too much stress, in my opinion, for a limited reward. It's uh, – it's I mean, look, let's – I'm going to be real here. Uh, we – the Pac-12 lost another bowl game this morning, the Sun Bowl in El Paso, which is a great bowl game. Uh, the Sun Bowl announced they're not going to play this year. The Red Box Bowl, which is in Santa Clara, had already announced it was taking this year off. That was a Pac-12 spot gone. What do those two games have in common? They're not on ESPN. And most of the bowl season is just ESPN programming. That's all it is. And, uh, and so I, I think quite bluntly, the bowl season is going to decide if ESPN wants TV programming, they'll just bring – take. 14 teams fly to Orlando. We'll just play seven straight days in somewhere in Orlando and do a bubble like they did for basketball. So I, you know, I think the whole bowl season won't go away because of that. ESPN won't let it go away. But unfortunately, the Pac-12 lost a couple of games because those are games that are not in that ESPN bubble world. 
Yeah, well, I'll say this. If we, we are in the world of getting creative in 2020, I would love to see a world where we scrap the traditional bowls and just play non-traditional games. Let's see Ole Miss take on Utah. Let's see some powers from the – let's see Wisconsin take on Washington. Right? Let, let's just put together some really compelling games. Right? If we want to do an extra game um, and get creative around it, I'd love to see something like that where you get to have a little bit of creativity regarding matchups versus bowl agreements. Yeah. Uh, th- that would be fun versus two teams that, you know, aren't going to light up the light up the world in, in terms of must-see television or a must-see matchup. So, like everything, it'll be fluid over the course of the next couple of weeks. Yeah, and one, and one last point I'll make, Yo, uh, because it's that time of year now where we're bleeding into basketball although basketball is having its, its hard time. Uh, it was interesting. I'm listening to Tad Boyle, the basketball coach of Colorado yesterday, and he was talking about having to prepare for a conference basketball game, which was supposed to be played on Wednesday night of this week. And again, we touched at the beginning, Colorado at Arizona was called off because Colorado's program, basketball program has been hit by the virus. Uh, and he was talking about how weird that was to – you know, not have all these non-conference games to get ready and suddenly have to play a conference game. And I'm sitting there going, why don't you call Carl Durrell? Run that by him. <laughs> Look what football's had to do. I mean, they had no non-conference. I mean, we had an exception, obviously, this past week. But basically, football had to just jumpstart. We're going to play conference games. U- USC and Arizona State week one, go get them. So yeah. I, I thought the, the – the, uh, and, and I think, honestly, what happened, college basketball slid a little bit under the radar because there was so much focus on football. And can we get football started? And can we get football done safely? Uh, and basketball maybe reached a little bit hard for these non-conference games. And as a result, we're seeing that the, the virus doesn't care what sport it is, man. It's just, it's just going everywhere. So I hope that we can have a first this weekend and that all the conference games can get played. Wouldn't it be great if we had all six and all 12 teams had to play on the same weekend? It would be a huge win, and I'm with you. Celebrate what we get to do, the opportunities the players have, and hopefully they continue to get a couple more before the season and, ends. And you know what else? We need to see Covey's got to be a nickelback this week since we know he can tackle. <laughs> hey, yeah, send me on a blitz. <laughs> I love it. All right, well, tune in for that on Saturday when Utah plays Oregon State. We will definitely run that play back if that is the case. Uh, but for our producer, Britton Covey, of course, Ted Robinson, my partner, uh, somebody I consider family. I'm Yogi Roth. This is Ted Yogi's Pac-12 Adventure. Anything you want on Pac-12 football, this is your place. We got you dialed. We got you covered as we continue on here into December in Pac-12 play. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.